Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. I love you guys. For those of you that missed it uh, this morning when we got rolling, this setup, this new setup is very intentional for us. This is something uh, that we're doing, like I said, with intentionality because we don't want to have like a divided space where like you have the, the worship band or the praise band on that end and the congregation on that end. And you just kind of like, it creates a vibe of just spectating. And this isn't an event. I mean, it technically is an event, but that's not the heart behind this. It's not something for you to consume. It's a person for you to consume. And that person is Jesus. All of us coming together the same way we would around the dinner table to feast. We're here to feast on the goodness of God on his grace, on his mercy, on his love, on his faithfulness. So that's why we do this. Uh, really quickly, I just want to like give the team who put all this together like a big round of applause. There's a lot of work. <laughs> Music, tech, band, hospitality, setup, the whole thing. We want to honor people. So yeah, love it. Well done, dude. Well done. Okay, so this morning, we are uh, kind of in the middle of a series called Be Ready. And the whole heartbeat behind this series, guys, is, man, the last 18 months, 19 months or so has been intense. Every single man, woman, and child has experienced, I would argue, traumatic suffering in a very unique way, okay, to varying degrees, whether it's just the emotional turmoil of all the things or deep pain or the trauma of your life being upended with all the things, okay? And so... We want to be people who are like really discerning, God, what are you doing with us? What are you doing in us? How can we participate in you and your invitations to bring more of your kingdom on the earth? Not just on the earth, but in me and in each other, right? And so we got, okay, God, what are you, what are you doing? What are you stirring in us? And as we pressed into it, really felt like God was calling us to primarily kind of focus on two things. If you remember, I'm going to kind of give you a review of this series thus far. Man, we feel like God was highlighting this, the, the, the Joseph of Arimathea uh, opportunities to care for the body of Christ in its time of need and its brokenness. To prepare the body, not for ultimate demise or destruction or death, but for resurrection life. And so we want to be people who are giving ourselves to, to not like glossing over or brushing things under the rug of the, of the very real traumatic um, experiences that we've been through and the needs that are among us, the body of Christ. So that's, that's one area. The other area is, man, in our, just in our, 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 us as individuals, our sphere of influence, the amount of brokenness and the people just in our sphere of influence, both Christians and non-Christians, is, is, is rather intense. And so we feel like God's preparing us to, to meet the needs within the body of Christ and also to work together to meet the needs of those outside of the body of Christ so that they might experience the love of God through his hands and through his feet. It's the church, it's us. So we want to be people who are like intentional. We've talked about how we don't just minister with like you know, stuff, we minister with what? The gospel of Jesus. It's our hope. It's not just our message. It's our, it's our motivation for doing these things. We don't do it to earn something from him. We're not like trying to score points with God by loving each other and loving the world. No, we're doing it out of response, out of worship, out of, out of, out of a response to his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his intervening love for us. And so we, we want to be people who are, who are not just insulated, although we really want to be intentional about meeting each other's needs and practicing the one another's and bearing one another's burdens. We want to do that. It's really important. But the, same, the flip side of that same coin is being intentional to love the people in our spheres of ministry. If you remember, I did a bunch of those diagrams of like your area of ministry. If you missed any of the first couple messages of the series, please go back and listen to them. They're really paramount for kind of setting the table of where we're going with this as a church. This morning... It's a very, very special morning for us. Obviously, you know Brad and Sarah are with us. Um, what I want to do is I want to set up Brad just by reading some scripture. 
in here. I'm going to read you out of Ephesians chapter 4. This is a passage that, we, that is dear to my heart um, because it's a passage that showcases even more about the love of Jesus for each of us. Paul writes this. He says, and he, the he bear being Jesus, and he, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Those are gifts, by the way. So God is the gift giver. He's giving gifts, Jesus himself. Why? Verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So that's the purpose, to equip. Also to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son. I don't know if you know that. That's the point of your life, to know God's son and enjoy him. Growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. So us growing into maturity is not like comparing ourselves to the most holy person we know in our life. No, it's comparing ourselves to Christ. God is, God is literally molding and shaping each one of us that's in Christ more and more into his likeness. The, the classic uh, line is, what would Jesus do if he was you? That's what God's doing in each of us. And he gives gifts. And these are people filled with God's spirit to help all of us grow and to equip us, hear me, to be who you really are. The new man, the new woman, the you that God created you to be. My friend Brad Sarian, my brother Brad Sarian, I believe he's an Ephesians 4 teacher evangelist. Like, I've spent years um, in ministry with Brad, on eldership with Brad and Sarah. Um, Herrick has as well. Like we love him, we trust him. He leads Restored LA, our, our sister church. He's, this, is a, this is a man and his wife, they're family. This is not just like a guest speaker. We don't have guest speakers. We don't do that. This is, this is a man we love and we trust. And hear me, he's a gift from Jesus. And that's, I don't say that to puff him up as though he's, like Jesus is the hero here because Jesus is the source of the gifts that he gives. And all of you have been given the spirit if you're in Christ to manifest the love of God through the spiritual gifts that he's given you. So Brad's no different than you, but he's a unique gift. And so here's what I want to do. Um, because we're, we want to create a culture of honor and of love and of grace. Grace is, I don't know if you know this, it's getting what you don't deserve. So before he even says a word, will you like erupt with applause, with love, with gratitude? Brad Saren, come on up. We love you. Hey, Sarah, will you, will you come pray for your man before he, before he preaches? Thank you. Hi, guys. Can I pray for you? I okay. would love that. Um, yeah, Father, I thank you for this morning. Um, God, I thank you for uh, the gift it is to gather together. As Tom was just saying, God, that you are a gift giver. Um, I thank you that this church family is a gift, God, that you have created, that you have um, formed, God, and that you are um, continuing to form into your likeness. And so, um, yeah, I just pray for this morning. I pray that each and every one of us in here would walk away having experienced your love and your grace and your faithfulness and your goodness and power um, in deeper ways this morning. And um, yeah, I thank you for Brad. I thank you for the gift that he is, um, for the ways that you have uniquely wired him and the gifts that you've given him, Jesus. And so I simply ask, Spirit, that you would just speak through him this morning, um, that you would get the glory, Jesus, that our eyes would be fixed on you, um, that we would each walk out of here more in love with you, uh, more intimately connected to you, and with more of a desire and passion um, to see your name proclaimed um, here in the Temecula Valley and into the nations, Jesus. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, love. Thanks, bro. Appreciate so you. So oh, man. Well, thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be with you all. I'm going to do my best to <laughs> see all of you, um, but... Yeah, it is such a joy uh, to be with you guys. I, I would say Tom has influenced my understanding of the gifts in the church more than any other human being. Um, and, and, and I'm just wildly grateful for him. Tom is one of those guys, and I know you guys know this uh, probably well if you know him, that, that he celebrates that you're gifted. Um, we live in a world that's deeply competitive, and when someone else has something that you don't have, we, we grow in envy generally. Tom does a phenomenal job understanding that the, fam the church is a family and that if you've got something that he doesn't have, he's stoked because we all have it now together in Christ. 
And, and that is, a, that is a, um, a shift of your mind in your heart that I beg Jesus to constantly grow me in. But that I would see other brothers and sisters that are gifted in ways that I'm not. Look at this gifted man. Thank you, man. Um, that, that are gifted in different ways than I am and not go, oh, I wish I was kind of like that. But go, yes, they're on my team. This is awesome. Like, like that's the way the kingdom works. And we get to celebrate the way that God has wired all of us uniquely and individually and all that stuff together for the sake of the kingdom. So love you. Eb, love you. Herrick, love you. And Heather, love you. Um, wherever she is. And my wife, obviously. Uh, Burgess and Colton. Colton, you guys know Colton. Most of you guys know Colton. Sorry, we stole him. Um, he's with LA now. Uh, it was a package deal. Mallory on our staff team, they're getting married in a couple months. And so, um, yeah, so, so grateful for him. Um, and yeah, I mean, we could just keep doing that for a while. But... Um, it's good to be with you all. So, um, yeah, today we're going we're gonna to chat. We're going we're gonna to chat through this idea of, of being ready, uh, this sermon series that you guys are currently in. And one, being ready to minister and care deeply for one another as a church family. And then two, being ready for the abundant harvest that, that God has for us. And so today what I'm going to camp out in is, is really just evangelism. Um, it's, it's if we believe Jesus' words in Matthew 9, that the harvest is plentiful, that the workers are few. I think generally we flip that around. We're like, oh, there's a lot of us, but man, there's like six people in Temecula that want Jesus. <laughs> Look at all of us. And, and Jesus goes, no, no there's, there's tens of thousands. What's the population of this area? A lot of people. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people. Jesus doesn't have a scarcity mindset. He has an abundance mindset when it comes to the kingdom. 2 Peter 3, 1 Timothy 2, God desires that all people would be saved. He has an infinitely larger perspective and dream and desire for this region and the nations. Like, like maybe you're passionate about this area. You want to see people come to know Jesus and Jesus goes, Amen. You, you, you want hundreds of thousands to know me? I want billions. Like, like all eight billion. Like your prayers can't be too big. Your dreams can't be too big to see God's kingdom come here as it is in heaven. So Matthew 9 ends with, the, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And then what happens in Matthew chapter 10, the very next work? Jesus sends out the workers. He sends out the apostles. He sends out the disciples to go into the harvest to see the reality that the harvest is plentiful. And so today what my desire is for us to just really do is to dive into what is a, what is a healthy and effective worker do in the harvest? If this is true, which I believe it still is to this day. How do we, as brothers and sisters, as Christians, as kingdom-minded people, what do we do in the midst of an abundant harvest? How do we live our lives in this harvest that is abundant? Um, and, and before I, I jump into those things, I, I do want to address real quick just the fact that in a gathering like this, um, Jesus has given me a, a deep heart and a passion for evangelism. Like, I, I, I wish I was, Tom even said, like, I'm kind of like a teacher evangelist. Like, evangelist is kind of like my, it's my secondary thing. Uh, I wish it was my primary thing. It, it's primarily my heart, I would say, even more than teaching. And yet the fruit of my life is probably more teaching than evangelism. Like, I'm kind of the guy who's like, man, I wish I could see more fruit in this area. We see it by God's grace, yes. But there's just a deep passion and a hunger to see men and women's lives transformed, men and women to see him, to come to faith in him. And I know some of you are here today. You're not a Christian. You're not following Jesus. Maybe this is your first time in church in a long time. You're not sure. And like I literally just said, I'm going to tell you how to tell other people about Jesus. And it's kind of weird, right? Like we can acknowledge that. It's kind of like locker room vibe where we, it's like halftime and you like stumbled into the wrong locker team. 
and, you're, and they're like, we're gonna get them, right? And it's like, this is weird. Like, let me find myself out of here as quickly as possible. Here's why I used to feel awkward about it. I don't feel awkward about it anymore. Um, here's why. One is I'm absolutely convinced that the greatest thing that could ever happen to your life is you meeting Jesus. Um, this isn't locker room vibe where we're gonna go out there and beat you. This is, we want you to be happy. We want you to be fulfilled. We want you to be satisfied. We want you to understand the whole purpose and point of your life. It's him. And, and so if that's where you're at today, I would just say, hey, just listen. Just, just listen in what, what I'm going to say. I hope that it's not too weird. And the other reason why I don't feel awkward about it is really in my understanding of God's grace. Um, I think that sometimes if evangelism is talked about in a non-biblical way, it's kind of this vibe where it's like, hey, if you reach more people, God's going to love you more. <laughs> that's not true. God can't love you more based on what Christ has already accomplished in your place. And so this isn't like, hey, if you save somebody, if you share the gospel with somebody this week, God's going to look at you and go, yes, I've got some extra love for you today. This is not true. And so everything we do is motivated out of a place of love, not to get love. You're not a means to an end. You're the end that Christ comes seeking for. He loves you. He wants you to know him deeply. And so um, with that, Basically, all I've got, I've got like six things that healthy and effective workers do. Evangelists, when I say workers, think that workers in the field, like that evangelists do to reach people. And some of you, you might be geared, you might be gifted um, with that heart of evangelism. For some of you, sharing the gospel, preaching, proclaiming the gospel to other people might be the scariest thing you could possibly fathom. And so I hope by the end of today, it just feels more normal it isn't this weird, like, I'm going to give you a pamphlet. You've got to go out tomorrow at work and hand this to somebody, right? Or worse, like, drop it on the ground and hope someone finds it. <laughs> I remember in San Diego, I have a picture of it. There's, there's a, a to-go box of, like, Chinese food box, and on the back's Rome, Romans 5.8. It's just written, and it's like some, some Christian, like, littered Romans 5.8 on the ground. It's like, come on, Lord, do it, Right? <laughs> It's like, that's not what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we're we're going to try to just teach you, how, how do I love people deeply? How do I share the, the gospel with people? And so the first thing that healthy and effective evangelists do is that they personally delight in Jesus' love. So this is the most important. If you get one thing, this is it. Healthy, effective evangelists and workers personally delight in the love of Jesus. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Luke chapter 6. This passage um, really helps frame so much of, of the Christian life, but even just life in general. But Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45. Sweet, thank you, we got it up there as well. Jesus says this, A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit, on the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. There's a lot going on that we're not going to be able to unpack today. Tom would love to walk you through that later. But this is it. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Maybe you've heard that passage before. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mature, healthy evangelists are filled with the love of Jesus and they can't help but speak Christ. They don't have reminders necessarily in their phone at 3 p.m. Okay, remember to share the gospel with Bill today. I can't not share the gospel with Bill today because Christ has captured my heart. And out of the overflow of who I am, I speak. I talk about him. I'm just captivated by him. And so we have to delight ourselves in the love of Jesus constantly. And here's my, here's my question to you. Out of the overflow of the mouth speaks, what do you talk about? What do you tweet about? What are you known for? If Jesus is true, 
the dominant messages from our mouth reveal the dominant message we believe in our hearts. When I was 20 years old, I went on a game show. Some of you might have heard. It's called The Price is Right. Um, I won like a lot of money. Uh, it, was, it was a great day. If I could figure out this business plan, I won $32,000 in 45 minutes. <clears throat> it was good. It was a good day. I haven't been able to do anything like that since, but 32 grand in 45 minutes. I won the wheel, everything, like cars and trips. Just it was cool. It was cool. I was that guy. Um, <laughs> They took me into a back room afterwards and, and they had me sign basically my life away. It was, it was really confusing logic. They're like, you can't tell anyone until the show airs because if you tell someone, you know, they probably won't watch it and our ratings will drop. I was like, that's absurd. Um, but sure, right? Like, I, I don't think if I could tell my mom, like, hey, I won the prices right. She's like, oh, I won't watch it that day. Um, it's like, okay. But anyways. I signed my life away that I'm not allowed to tell anyone. If, they, if I tell people on social media or something like that, I could forfeit all my prizes, right? Um, they try to put the fear of God into me. Uh, it took me about three seconds into the parking lot before I told everyone I knew. <laughs> I know, I have poor integrity clearly from that moment, but, but seriously, like, like I could not, like I was just like smiling for weeks. I, I just couldn't not be happy. And people like, what's going on? I was like, $32,000 on the prices, right? It's coming out June 24th, you gotta watch it 10 a.m. Right, like, I, I, I just, could, like, like, I couldn't stop talking about it. It had captured my heart. And this is evangelism in the New Testament. It's, it's literally what we see in Acts. The religious leaders go, we're gonna hurt you if you don't stop talking about Jesus. They're like, okay. <laughs> Jesus. It's like, no, no, we're gonna kill you if you keep talking about him. We're gonna kill you. They're like, yeah, you killed our friend. He's doing okay. He rose from the dead. Like, like, he's captured my heart. I can't not talk about him. And so, and so would we sit with him? And, and this past year and a half has been hard. It really has. Like, there's been very few Christians that I've met that have said the past 18 months have been the, like the, just the highlight of their walk with Jesus. If that is for you, praise God. Seriously. Praise him for it. But the majority of Christians I've talked to, God, it's been a hard season. And even me feeling convicted, man, evangelism is, it's always, it not, it's oftentimes on the front of my mind, the past 18 months, it's not been. I mean, COVID obviously was really difficult when you're like trying to talk to your neighbor, they're like, hey, hey, hey. You're like, okay, sorry, we'll do this later. Like, like it's, it's been a weird season to try to share the gospel, to have people into your home when, when everything is going on. And yet, it's a constant challenge to me. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of my heart? As he captured me, would I sit in his love daily so that the gospel would come out of my mouth because I know that it's here? Yelp exists because we're all evangelists, right? Evangelist meaning someone who proclaims good news or anti-good news, Right? I mean, think about the, the business meeting Yelp was at the beginning when someone's pitching it. So we're going to have a website and we're going to have millions of people just give their free time to tell people about places they go. They're going to do that for free? We hope so. <laughs> well, you, you guys aren't going to pay them? We'll give them like gold stars and stuff. <laughs> guys, it's, it's a pretty, a Yelp, if you've never heard of it, it's like pretty successful because we can't help but speak out of the overflow of our heart. Would Jesus be infinitely more compelling than the cheeseburger you had last night at dinner? Would the love of Christ, him crucified and risen in my place for my eternity, would that overflow from my heart? And I just have to tell people about how good he is. Would we one check what the, the dominant message of our life currently is if it isn't Christ? And would we sit in the love of Christ for as long as it takes until he begins to capture our hearts in such a way that we just start talking about him more? That we stop living in the fear of, oh, you know, I might get fired if at the workplace I talk about Jesus. Maybe. Probably not. 
Like if you're really good at what you do, I found out you could kind of talk about Jesus a lot. <laughs> One of the, most, the guy who's preaching at Restored LA today, he's a wildly successful attorney. He talks about Jesus more than anyone I've ever encountered in the workplace. He's like, yeah, they just, they, they say every once in a while, like, hey, calm down, but he's making so much money for the company. They're like, all right. <laughs> he's praying for people in his office, all that stuff. It's just like, work hard and talk about Jesus. Like, like do a really good job where it would cost your company a lot. But then he keeps talking about this dead guy from 2,000 years ago. I don't know. We've got to get rid of him. Like, proclaim Christ deeply. The second thing that healthy, mature disciples do is they quickly disclose their love for Jesus to others. They quickly disclose their love for Jesus to others. I think, and I know it has good intentions, but the idea of relational evangelism, I think Satan has grabbed onto and gone, yes. Relational evangelism is, is the idea, like I have to build a relationship with someone for about a decade before I could tell them about Jesus. Now there's, there's places in the world where that's a good idea. We have friends who are missionaries in the Middle East, where if you proclaim the gospel on the street corner, that could be the end of you. Maybe a good idea to build some relationship, feel out what's going on. Hard to read Acts and think that they ever had the idea of relational evangelism going on, though. So, so, so I'm, not, I'm not knocking it 100%, but I think most of us grab onto that in a really unhealthy way. We're like, yeah, we've been friends six years, but it's just not... It's not time yet. It's not time to tell them about my first love. <laughs> right? Like, can you imagine if you're friends with somebody for four years and they're like, hey, I got to tell you something. Um, I'm married and I have kids. You're like, whoa. I had no idea. You're like, yeah, we're pretty healthy. Like, we, I love my wife so much. You never talked about her for four years? How'd you keep that a secret for four years? I just didn't want to, like, move too quickly in our friendship. I want to kind of take it easy and move slow in this, All right? How often do we do this? Like, I don't want to be that weird Jesus guy that in the first, and, and pray through it. But I think most of the time, if we're genuinely praying through it, I think it's cowardice and fear rather than genuine love that keeps us from proclaiming Christ quickly. And again, I think it's also a scarcity mindset. Like, like I think if we, we really dig deep into it, I think many of us think like, if God used me a ton in my life, I'll lead three people to Christ. And I gotta be really careful about who those three are. And I gotta go real slow. Jesus goes, I would love to see you lead thousands to Christ. And if you in your first encounter with someone just simply tell them that you love Jesus and they want nothing to do with you for the rest, Jesus teaches his disciples to shake the sandals off their feet and move on to the next town. I love you, but, but I, I want everyone to know him. And so we quickly disclose the love of Jesus. In the workplace, in the family, in the neighborhood, wherever it's at, I think we buy into a, a, a few main lies with this stuff where we want to go, okay, I, I, can't share God, I can't share Christ yet for a couple of reasons. One, maybe you are living hypocritically in the workplace and it would be a damaging testimony to Jesus, maybe. But rather than just to continue living in that, we can repent, We've seen people in our church repent to coworkers. They go, hey man, I am a Christian and I have not been living like it for a couple of years. And I just want to apologize. Jesus loves me so much and he's been growing me and changing me. I just want to apologize for taking advantage of this situation, of lying about this specific situation. Like, I'm sorry. Jesus loves you a ton. He loves me. I'm, I'm amazed of his mercy and his grace over me that he would even allow me to continue in this work of just displaying his glory and his beauty to other people because I, I fail a ton. That's, that's beautiful. I don't think any of your coworkers would be like, that's weird. Not into that. It's like, oh, you're a mess too and your God loves you? Sign me up. One of the other lies we believe is I'm not ready yet. Right? Like, I'm oh, I, once I can prophesy like Tom, then I'll start sharing the gospel, right? Like when I gotta walk in a room and be like, I know what you watched last night. <laughs> like, like that's when I'm ready to like share the gospel, right? Um, one of my favorite stories is Mark chapter five. When, when Jesus casts the demons, plural, legion of demons out of the demon-possessed man, heals him, Jesus gets onto the boat with his disciples 
And the guy goes, hey, can I come with you? And what does Jesus say? No. Go home. Tell your friends about what the Lord has done and the mercy I've had on you. Friends, if there was anyone who needed like a season out of evangelism, probably a guy who just got exercised of multiple demons, right? Like if there's anyone that's like, you should take like a six month sabbatical. Here's some Pete Scazzaro, emotionally healthy church stuff. Like, like you need some help and just chill. Jesus goes, you ready? And what's the message he's ready with? Look what God's done and the mercy he's had on me. All of us can share that. If Jesus said, go to them and tell them, you're amazing and be like me. We're not ready for that. But day one of being healed by multiple demons, you can go into your place back home and go, guys, God is so good. He loves me and he's had mercy on me. Can I tell you about what he's done? That's the essence of evangelism. Sometimes we think evangelism is I have to be awesome and then people will get saved. I have to point them to the only one who is awesome. His name is Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that? If you're saved, you're ready for that. A day in, a year in, whenever it is, you can't be too spiritually immature to proclaim the mercy that God has had on you. Let us quickly disclose the love of Jesus that we have. The third thing is that we gently dismantle misconceptions about Jesus and the gospel. This is kind of that apologetics piece that that we gently dismantle misconceptions about Jesus and the gospel. We live in a post-Christian society or we're at least moving in that direction depending on where you're at and the person you're talking to. So people have a lot of misconceptions about Jesus, a lot of misconceptions about the gospel and it is part of your job to help dismantle those things. Jesus did it all the time. I think you guys just spent like nine years in the Gospel of John. Like, like hopefully you saw that every once in a while, right? Like, like in John 3 with Nicodemus, what's Jesus doing? He's dismantling his misconceptions about the kingdom of God and the birth of the Spirit, what, what the Spirit does. John 4, the woman at the well, what is Jesus doing? He's dismantling her misconceptions about who the Messiah is and what he's going to do. John 8 with the religious leaders, what's Jesus doing? He's dismantling, again, who the Messiah is, what Abraham and Abraham's family is going to look like. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's a big part of evangelism, I'll, I'll be honest. I think sometimes we, we pretend it, it, it's meaningless and you don't need to go out and get a ton of apologetics books to defend the faith. You don't need to know that stuff, but you need to know him. You need to know him so that when you hear something that sounds foreign to you, you're like, nah, that's not true, right? And there's tons of different messages that our world say or think that are contrary to the gospel. I mean, one of the most common responses that that you'll hear is just like, oh, you know, all religions are the same, right? And you could awkwardly be like, yeah, they are. Or you could be like, no, they're not. You don't have to study all religions. I, I I got my degree in philosophy and I minored in religious studies. So I actually had the privilege of kind of studying as many religious studies as you could do. Here's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Christianity, grace. Every other religion, works. Different types of works, different ways to get good with the gods or the God or the universe or whatever it is, but you have to do A, B, and C to get accepted. Christianity is fully different. So God loves us. He's given his life for us while we were still his enemies. We simply have to receive him. It's grace. Not all the religions are the same. In fact, like study them. They're wildly different and contradict each other constantly. One of my favorite um, quotes is from a guy, Huston Smith, and he says that, that Jesus and Buddha are kind of the two main characters who changed the world. They're like the religious figures that kind of everyone's like, Jesus and Buddha, Jesus and Buddha. He says, yeah, Jesus and Buddha. People are like, oh, look at all the similarities between these two. He's like, they couldn't have been more different. Buddha, when people came to him to worship him, Buddha pointed away from himself and said, here's the path. When people fell down and worshiped Jesus, he said, you're welcome. 
I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Buddha pointed away. Jesus said, I am the way. Those aren't the same. Those are very different. Our world thinks, oh, I don't need religion in my life. I'm good without God. It's like, no, you're not. And this is where it helps to know somebody. It's like, dude, I know you're not okay without God. Because of A, B, and C, you need him desperately. And he loves you and he wants you. And he's going to fulfill you in a way that you think money can. You think promotion can. You think next marriage can. It can't. Only he can. So you don't have to have a degree in this stuff, but you've got to know him to be able to hear the lies of our culture and be able to helpfully dismantle them. And here's what I'll say to this. The best way I've learned how to do this is through epic failures. People oftentimes are like, man, how, did you, how do you know how to talk to non-Christians? Like, because I failed for a long time and still continue to. It's, it's after you talk to your coworker and they say something to you and you're like, huh, yeah, that's a good point. See you tomorrow. And you walk away. And then the question is, what do you do with it? Figure it out. It's, it's oh, okay, this resource, this is the answer. This is how I could respond next time. Next time somebody responds, here, I've heard that before. There's not that many responses to the gospel, I promise. It's about a dozen. So you got to fail miserably about 12 times, and then you've basically heard it all. And the next time, you're like, oh, okay, this. this. Oh, you know, it's by works, and I'm not a good person. I can't come to the church, because if I came, the lightning would strike. You know, I've heard it all. It's not just like an intellectual thing. It's also a fear and shame and guilt thing. It's like, I've messed up way too many times. It's like, do you know that the majority of the Bible was written by murderers? Moses, David, Paul? Like, how many people have you killed? And even if you have good news, you could write Bible, right? <laughs> Not really, it's closed the canon, but you get what I'm saying. Like, like, this, like, you clearly misunderstand the gospel if your understanding of the church is, I can't go there because I'm too messed up. The apostle Paul murdered Christians. Why? Because they were Christians. Like, please tell me your deep, dark secrets. How many Christians have you murdered? And even so, Jesus could use you to start the greatest church planning movement in the history of the world. Like, like that's the message of the gospel. But we have to be able to talk to people in such a way that we hear those things and then we graciously dismantle them. That we help them understand the good news of what Christ has accomplished for us. The fourth thing is that we humbly invite people to meet the church family. We humbly invite people to meet the church family. This is something that took me a while and I learned deeply in San Diego. I used to kind of be like the rogue evangelist. I thought that the best way I could like see people come to know Jesus was by myself. Honestly, there was a lot of pride in that. And it was like, there's some wild people in the church. We got to keep this person away from, right? <laughs> and, and so I'm just going to kind of be that guy that kind of comes out. I'm normal. Let me teach you about Jesus. One day you'll meet the family. <laughs> Not today though. That was, that was, I wouldn't have never vocalized it, but that was deep down what it was. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. You, you know what your neighbor needs to see? The awkward family of God where everyone's loved and accepted because they can't find that in the world. You might be really cool and impressive and have a lot of answers. The world has that. The world has no concept for a bunch of different people, different ideas, different views, different you name it, and yet deep unity and love around the person and work of Jesus Christ. The world can't do that. Turn with me real quick, John chapter 17. And Jesus' famous high priestly prayer, the prayer he prays before he goes to the cross. John 17. John 17, verse 20 says this. Jesus is praying. I pray not only for these, his disciples that were with him, but also for those who will, excuse me, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Right there, Jesus prays for us. Pretty exciting if you're a believer. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, listen, 
so that the world may believe you sent me. When the world sees the unity and love in the church, they believe that the Father sent the Son. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You, you want to see people come to Christ, be united in love as a church family around him. And the world will look at you like, what's going on here? One of my favorite moments of this was in one of our gospel communities. We had a guy with a Trump hat on and a guy with a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. And they, going for it for a while, and then lovingly had some great dinner and hanging out together. I was like, <laughs> I don't know who in the world could walk into this gathering and be like, what's, like, just what's happening here? <laughs> Is this a safe place? Like we can be a church where this is a safe place because we're not united around Biden or Trump or anything else. We're united around Jesus. And the world's never seen that. The world can't see that. We need each other. We need each other. You're not the answer. He is and his body is a beautiful reflection. I can at best reflect Jesus a tiny glimmer. But together as the church family, we can reflect his body to the world. Um, some of you might know, but Nadia lives with us. Uh, Nadia got saved a couple of years ago in our church. She uh, is a, from a Muslim family, and God just did some beautiful, beautiful work and saved her. She's now lived with us for a couple of years, and um, one of her parents is from Jordan, one of her parents is from Egypt, and the school that we go to, uh, my kids go to a, a few houses down, the, the public school um, down the road. Uh, one of my boy Micah's classmates, <clears throat> they were walking by our house uh, during quarantine, um, and the mom came over and she was uh, the Muslim family and she walks by and we start talking and her English is, isn't great um, and she speaks Arabic and we're talking and, and we've had multiple conversations with her and their family for, for, for a couple of years at this point um, and I've never kind of, you know, it's kind of that awkward like, hi, good to see you, we'll see you later type thing um, and, and as we're talking to her, I'm like, wait a second, Nadia, <laughs> like, like this gal's from Egypt We've got a gal from Egypt in our home who speaks Arabic. I was like, hold on one second. I just like ran inside. I didn't tell her all that, but I'm like, Nadia, come outside. Like, get out here. Like, meet this gal. Like, 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 Nadia's going to be able to talk and love this woman in a way that I can't. I just can't, right? And so Nadia comes out and they start speaking Arabic fluently. And she, she changes. The countenance changes. They talk for like 30 minutes, and I don't understand anything. I'm just like standing there like this. <laughs> and after when we walk inside, I'm like, Nadia, what are you like? Tell me, what are you guys talking about? And she was like, she was just so interested. She's like, why do you guys live with a white? Why do you live with a white family? <laughs> and she got to tell her about Jesus, and, and she got to tell her that Jesus changed my life, and now we're a part. This is my family, actually. Um, her parents disowned her, and so now I'm part of a new family, and this is because of Jesus. I couldn't have done that. Nadia can do that. Nadia just, Nadia's a new Christian. Nadia gets to preach the gospel in a way I can't. We need one another. We need our stories. We need our gifts. We need our passions together, united around Jesus in love to show the world how beautiful and true he is. Don't be the rogue missionary. We work together. Fifth, we courageously proclaim the cross and demand a response. This one's probably the most difficult. Like at some, time, some point you actually have to preach Christ. I, I think this has been one of the biggest misconceptions around evangelism. I'll talk to people oftentimes and they're like, yeah, nobody in my office, they, uh, you know, I've shared the gospel a ton with people in my office and, and they don't know, they don't want anything about Jesus. So that's kind of the end of that. I'm like, what do you mean when you, you, you shared the gospel with them? I told them I just go to church. Oh, so you've told them you go to church. You've never preached the gospel to them. Those are different. Tell your coworkers and friends and neighbors that you go to church. Yes. But at some point, you have to proclaim Christ and crucified. So one, can you articulate that? Like no one's ever come to faith because you opened up the door at the grocery store. You're like, God bless. 
They're like, tell me about your savior and king. <laughs> good works are good. But at some point we have to proclaim Christ. Do you know how to? I think some Christians are so nervous about this that they never even do the work of thinking through how to do this. Back in college, um, I went with a group of, of students and we'd go to Skid Row in LA weekly and hand out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to homeless people at around 11 to 3 a.m. It was, it was, yeah. I brought my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. It was kind of like the testing ground. I was like, let's see if she's serious. So, um, and and. And I was with this gal one time before, and we were just walking the streets, um, and, and it's about midnight, and, and the gal next to me, she was like, saw a gal who appeared to not have a house, and said, hey, can I give you a sandwich? She's like, yeah, thank you. And she gave her a sandwich. And um, the gal was like, what are you guys doing out here at midnight? And she said, oh, we're, we're passing out sandwiches, and we're telling people about the gospel of Jesus. Could I share the gospel with you? She was like, Sure. And she's like opening up her sandwich. And the girl with me, she's like, you do it. I was like, you do it. And she was like, like we realized no one had ever said yes to the question, can we share the gospel with you? She didn't know how to. She was like, ah, God, he's, he, there's sin and he loves us. How's the sandwich? And it's not a knock on her. I wouldn't have done any better. But when you're given the opportunity, yeah, what's the gospel? What do you say? Like, like, do you know what you even say in a moment where someone is willing to hear the gospel? Here's the gospel defined. I bet, I think best succinctly in the New Testament. Jesus is the king of the world. That, that's the, what's the good news proclaimed by the early apostles? It's that Jesus is the king. And how does he show what his kingdom is like? He dies for his enemies. He loves you. He's a king who does not use you for his own purposes. He saves you, even though you deserved death and wrath. It's the good news that he's now in charge, and one day all people will recognize that he's the king, the rightful king of this world that he created. Can we preach that? He's proved it through the cross and the resurrection. Like, like just, there's no magic formula. Pray through it. Think through it. But I, I would really encourage you at some point, even practice, <laughs> practice with your gospel community. You practice with a spouse, practice with a friend. Hey, can I share the, like a one minute, like, like you should be able to share like a 30 second version of the gospel, a three minute version of the gospel and an hour long version of the gospel. Like I think you should if you're a disciple of Jesus. Could you do that? And we demand a response. This is the least, oof. Oftentimes, at best, we move through the awkwardness where someone's like, can you share the gospel? And we're like, yeah, let me tell you the gospel. Gospel, you know, Jesus is the king. He died for us. He loves us. He rose from the dead. And then we're like, we'll see you later. <laughs> Read Acts. They're like, and what do you think about that? It's amazing. Like, like when's the last time you've invited someone to follow Jesus and you didn't just go like, I, I, God would love for you to, you know, ask him for forgiveness and for you to follow him. We'll see ya. Like, would you, would you like to follow Jesus? Ask people. It's, it's, it's fascinating. This is what God, God wants them to make a choice. He doesn't want you to force this upon them. And when they feel the weightiness of when they've just heard the gospel preached and now they have to make a decision, are they going to say yes to Jesus the King or no to him? That's way weightier than you just going, and I'm just going to pray that everything goes well. Even if they say no, there's, I mean, I've seen faces, I've seen eyes of men and women feeling the weightiness of going, hey, do you want to follow Jesus as king? No. Okay. I love you. I'm not, uh, <laughs> not going to do anything. Okay. Yeah. I love you. I'm praying for you. Maybe, maybe soon. I remember in San Diego, one of the baristas I became friends with, <clears throat> the coffee shop I go to regularly. We got lunch together one time, and he's sharing his story. I just said, hey, you talk to me. Um, tell me. Tell me your story. And he starts sharing the story with me. And, and the story really, it was a devastating, he had, he had a tough life, but um, basically every element of his life was somebody else's problem. It was his parents, and then it was his teachers, then it was his drill sergeant, then it was his fiance, then it was his boss. It was, it was all this stuff for an hour, he tells me. 
And honestly, I was not in a great space. I was praying, Spirit of God, please do something. And then about 30 minutes in, I was like, get me out of here. Um, I just was not great. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. And at the end of it, about an hour, he goes, as I'm listening to myself, I'm starting to think that like, maybe I'm the problem. He's like, what do you think? And I, I was like, Jesus, help me. I was like, yeah, I think you are. I think it's even worse than you can imagine. And I began unpacking the gospel to this man of going, hey, he's, he's feeling some, the spirit of God's doing something. I've never been in this space before where a non-Christian is telling me, I think I'm like a mess as I'm listening to my story. I, I think I'm a bad guy. It's like, yeah, let me tell you how Jesus loves bad guys. And so I, I asked him, I, I preached the gospel to him and I go, hey, would you like to follow him? Would you like to trust him? Would you like to receive forgiveness for all of this stuff? He was like, I can't. There's stuff I didn't tell you that I can't tell you. And I know that if I, if I accept Jesus, I'd have to bring everything in and I can't do that. I was like, okay, love you, dude. Whenever you're ready for that, I'd love. Like, he's gonna love you. I can't promise that everything's gonna be okay with your fiance. I can't promise everything's gonna go okay with your work situation. But I promise he loves you and he will work it out eventually. Let me know. We ask people for a response. Would, would you ask your neighbor? Would you ask your friend, hey, do you wanna follow Jesus? Would you like to receive his forgiveness rather than just leaving it up in the clouds? And the last thing, is that we joyfully depend on the Spirit of God. Maybe this feels really overwhelming to some of you. Maybe this feels like, oh, I could never do these five things. Don't think about the five things, whatever it is. Delight in Jesus' love. He is for you, he is with you, and depend deeply on the Spirit of God. The good news is, Jesus wants to save people way more than you do. John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You could memorize these stats. You could figure out how to do and say the right things at the right time. Apart from Jesus, you can't do anything. You'll never see genuine fruit. So we utterly depend on him. Do you depend on him for salvation? I think the best marker is how often are you praying for non-Christians? Like, like genuinely, how much of your prayer life is for those who don't know Jesus to come to know him? It's this really weird thing, but, but it's fascinating that the more I pray for non-Christians, the more I see people get saved. It's just a fact of my life. And I wish I would just live in that reality, but I don't. I go through seasons. I think part of it is just spiritual warfare and Satan will see a few people saved. And I'm like, yeah, sweet, I got the hang of this thing. And I literally, I just stopped praying for people. I'm like, I know what to say. I know what to do. I know. And we don't see salvations. And I go, Jesus, please. I can't. This is not true. These aren't tricks. This is a miracle of new birth that only you can do. What am I going to, like, talk someone into that? Jesus, save. Jesus, save. Jesus, save. Would you do it? Would we be on our faces daily for friends and family members who don't know Jesus? We're praying for our coworkers, our enemies who don't know him by name going, Jesus Christ, please save. Please save. When we're in the middle of those conversations, please don't be like, what did Brad say? Go, Holy Spirit, what are you saying right now? Like, like what, do you, what, do you, what do you want done now? That's when we get to experience this fruitfulness. That's when we get to experience life change taking place. Would we depend deeply on the spirit of God and trust that the harvest is plentiful? And when you look out into your neighborhood, that you wouldn't go, I hope someone one day gets saved. That you would look at each house and apartment and go, God wants every single one of them. God wants each of them to be a child of his. Let's get to work. Let's depend deeply on him, filled up in his love, and get to work because the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Let's keep praying.
Let's pray. Father, um, what a joy it is that you would include us in this work. I think of my own little kids and when they help me with things, the, the task usually takes longer. And yet it's wonderful being with them. God, that you could do this by yourself. You don't need us. And yet you love to work with us, in us, through us. And what a joy it is when you use broken but redeemed men and women to proclaim the goodness of who you are love that you have for each of us that we don't have to listen to someone's story and try to figure out like I wonder if God loves them and wants them we know from the moment we see them that you love them and you want them would we proclaim that good news to them Jesus I pray even, even right now Jesus if there are those right here that don't know you I pray that they would trust you now that they would put their faith in you, that they would follow you, Jesus. They wouldn't wait until tomorrow. They wouldn't wait until they're ready. That, that you right now are saying, you're ready. Trust me. We love you. We see an abundant harvest here. this church family united and in love around you King Jesus it's in your beautiful name Amen alright how are we doing will you go ahead and stand with me if you're able we have 15-ish, maybe 20 minutes in our gathering. And as we do every week, we want to respond to what God's stirring in each of us as individuals and each of us as a community. Um, if you're on the ministry team this morning, can I, can I call on you for a second? Here's what I want to do. Uh, ladies, can you go on this side and that kind of that open space? And gentlemen, can you go on that side if you're if you're on the ministry team? We're gonna there's gonna be men and women available for prayer for the next 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, we're gonna do a plethora of different things, and you have a lot of freedom for the next 15 or 20 minutes. Um, obviously, you can receive prayer. The band's gonna minister to us, give us an opportunity to respond to God with praise. You can pray yourself. Um, but here's the sense that I get from the spirit of what, what he's inviting each of us into. And the beautiful thing is that his love's so comprehensive, no one's off limits. No matter how old you are, it doesn't matter. Like God's love is, it's intense. And he's inviting all of us to take a next step. And so what I want to ask you to do is not to be overly spiritual, um, but to, as an, as a, in an effort to kind of focus and not be distracted, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you need to just kind of space out with your eyes open, that's fine too. But I just want to give you a tangible, practical opportunity to do something so that your distractions are minimized. And so humbly, Holy Spirit, would you highlight what each of our next step is? Father showing their beloved child what their next step is.
For some of you, it's actually receiving the good news of Jesus for you. It's actually inviting Jesus to sit on the throne of your entire life, not just parts of it, but the entire thing, every area. For others, it's, it's God really has given you a, a healthy burden for people in your life. You see, the, you see their experience. You see the areas of brokenness and they need a healer. They need a savior. Romans 10, verse 13 and 14, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. Verse 14, how then can they call on him if they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher, a teller, a sharer? God in his kindness and his grace and his mercy invites us to follow Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I pray for the rest of this morning. I pray by the time that every single heart, mind, and soul leaves the room, that they would have at least clarity on the next step that you're inviting them into. And I pray that they would respond with obedience, with gratitude, and that joy would like erupt inside of them. But for now, Spirit, we press in. Thank you for your grace. band's going to lead us 15, 20 minutes or so. Respond and receive. Two things, respond and receive. That's what we're doing. And we'll be up to close in a bit. Okay, guys? Let yourself feel what the presence of God feels like for just a moment, okay? to rob you from the presence of God. Stay there just a little bit longer. I think it's a very fitting way for us to end team is going to kind of hang out on the, on the back on the sides over here for a little while. Um, some of you still, I feel like God's still not done. He wants to pray for you or he wants to minister to you through his body, through prayer. If this morning is the morning where you like literally like hand over your life to Jesus, um, can I just talk to you before you go? That's all. Nothing weird, nothing crazy. I just I feel like God has something for you that I want to share with you, if that's you. I want to pray for us. The kindness of God to invite us to be with him now and forever. The kindness of God to invite us to be agents for him, to demonstrate his love in intentional, intentional ways through both our actions and our words, like Brad said. 
so that the world might experience his presence, his saving grace, his mercy, that they might be with him both now and forever as well. That's the gig, man. That's the call. That's our purpose. What a privilege. Sorry, I'm feeling some stuff. I'm gonna share one of them right now. There's some of you in the room, you haven't even begun to scratch the surface on the call of God on your life. You've tasted some stuff. It's been cool. But there's deep, there's deep things that he's preparing for you. It's gonna start in your household. But he who is faithful with little will be trusted with much. I challenge you. See what he does. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence, for your kindness, for your faithfulness, for your love, for your goodness. Thank you for showing us your glory this morning. Thank you for the gifts that you've poured out on your church. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for choosing us, for predestining us before the foundations of the world were spoken into existence, nothing can stop the love of God. Let that bring us peace. Let that bring us comfort. And let that, let that inspire us to boldly love and proclaim the way that you loved and proclaimed, Jesus. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, friends, I love you dearly. If you need to grab your kids, go ahead and do so. The ministry team's kind of scattered throughout the brack. Don't, don't leave without receiving prayer if that's you. Love you guys dearly, okay? Know that you're loved.